Well, turn your Bibles over to Acts chapter 20. We have just finished up. He was in Ephesus, and of course, we had the big fuss that was made there. So they got into the big riot, and uh, they were worried that Rome might be coming down on them for all the trouble that was going on, the, the folks that were there. So uh, they dismissed that assembly, and Paul had moved on into uh, some other place. Well, we see here he's moving on into some other, other spots. And so we pick up here in Acts chapter 20. In verse 1, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. So he goes from, from here and heads on out to, if we might need our uh, third missionary journey map up there too, if we can, along with the other one that I had given you, but right now we'll just uh, work on pulling that one. And so we can kind of get an idea of where he is going on these, these parts. So he leaves from here and he goes over to Macedonia. This is the part that God had called him into. We know that when he got there, he had a whole lot of trouble. What was going on? But Macedonia seems to be a place that Paul keeps going back to. And so we're going to see that he's going to go back to it here again. So now we had gone over to the region and encouraged them in many, with many words. He came to Greece and stayed there three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to go through Macedonia. So here's where we're picking him up. Over here, he's over in here in Ephesus, has the riot, and so then he heads over to go to Macedonia. He goes through, when it says Macedonia, it's pretty much hitting all these cities that are in here. Uh, uh, Philippi, of course, that's where he had started the, the things out. Berea, uh, all these places are, are here. So he goes through and encourages all the churches that he was at here, and then comes down into this area, into Greece. And when it says Greece, it's probably talking about Athens, which is where he started. He then went over to Corinth. And uh, maybe some other uh, places in there, but we at least know those two cities were involved. And from here, we're going to see he's going to go back over to Macedonia. So look at verse 3 again. And he stayed there for three months over in Greece. So for three months, he's here. And Corinth and Athens are not that far apart. He could have been back going back and forth between the two. Uh, whatever it was, he just says he was in time in the three months in the area of Greece. But look at verse 3. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Now, this, when he says this, it's, uh, it's kind of blind to us what's going on. But what seems to be happening was the Jews wanted to kill him. And so they had a plot that they did, and he had a planned to sail to uh, Syria. Now, his goal here, he wants to go down to Jerusalem in time for the feast. So if he's sailing for Syria, where he is sailing for is down over into uh, this area over here. Syria would be this region. And he's probably heading home to Antioch because you would sail to Syria in order to get over to Antioch. And then maybe from Antioch, he's planning on coming down here. Instead of going back, this would be calling the trip quits. Third missionary journey would have ended here in Greece and he would have gone from there over here to Syria probably walked up to Antioch unless he would have gone down. Usually, if you're going to go down to Jerusalem, you come over here into uh, Caesarea. That's the port city for Jerusalem. So if it says Syria, he's probably planning on going up in here and then heading over to Antioch, which is where his base of operations is. And that would have ended the trip. But it just says that he decided, instead of doing that, we're just, let's just go back where we just came from, <clears throat> which is Macedonia. So what would seem to be is that the Jews here over in Greece in this plot, had actually boarded, had people board the boat that he was supposed to get on and were planning, once they were over in the open seas, to uh, get rid of Paul. 
get him in the middle of the night, throw him overboard, do something with him, uh, kill him, get rid of his body. <laughs> and that's what they were planning for him. And Paul, it doesn't say the Spirit of God exposed the plot. It doesn't say that the Spirit of God witnessed the Paul don't go. It just says that Paul decided. But it exposes that there was a plot. How many times have we decided not to do something, thought it was our own thing, and found out that we just avoided the trap? We won't know, but on this particular one, we're told from the Word of God, here was a, there was a trap. And Paul avoided it simply by deciding to go to Macedonia. And so he goes back through all the area of Macedonia again, and he works his way back over to the area of Ephesus, which is where he came from. That's a lot of walking. He does some sailing when he gets from Macedonia over to Asia. They'll, they'll get on a boat for that. But that is a lot of walking. So verse 4. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Remember what it said about the Bereans? They were very noble. They, were very, uh, they, they thought through things. They went to the Word of God to make sure that these things were so. So he comes from there. Also, Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians. Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and Tychicus. We've heard Tychicus quite a bit. That's quite a trusted uh, traveling companion of his. Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troash, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troash, where we stayed seven days. So what we have here is they're over here in Philippi. This is what they worked their way back up to. And from Philippi, they're going to sail over to Troash, which is right here. This is the area, the port city for Asia that they go in and out of. So he sends his traveling companions on ahead of him. And he stays behind in Philippi until the days of the unleavened, uh, the, the days of unleavened uh, bread are over. When that's over, then he, he catches up with them. He doesn't really tell us why he sends them on ahead of time. Maybe they had to get some things ready over in Troash. Uh, we don't know, but he sends them on ahead of time anyway. And eventually he catches up with them without any uh, episodes that we had. We know that Philippi, there were some riots going on with that too. I don't know if I was him, I probably would have stayed in Philippi with people that I trusted. But he sent them on over on his way. So these men going ahead waited for us at Troash, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of, uh, of unleavened bread. And five days joined them. At Troash, where we stayed for seven days. So there are seven days at Troash ministering, doing whatever it is that they're doing there, or just getting ready for the rest of the trip. Um, and then we, we have uh, here now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Whether he ministered here up until that point, we don't know. But on the last day, he decided to pack a whole mess of sermons into one day. And he just kept going. Uh, estimates are anywhere from six to ten hours that he was teaching them. And there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window, a certain young man named Eutychus, of course we know what that means when it says a certain young man, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down by the third story and was taken up dead. Now it's mentioning the lamps here because they use kerosene lamps, for the light, and it was getting to midnight, so it was getting dark. So they got the lamps on for, for light in there, and the darker it gets, the more lamps they put on. So apparently these, these lamps had an effect upon the people in the room, but more so upon him, because when he fell asleep, he was not leaning up against anything, and he went backwards and out the window and, and killed himself. Now, he was in, they're in an upper room, as we told you before and other times. The upper room, you have a two-store uh, building. Uh, first floor might be a, uh, uh, a business 
The second floor would be at a place where people would stay and live. And the third floor is the upper room. These are the upper rooms that Jesus rented. These are just places that you would rent. This is how they did it in those days. The third floor was the upper room. And it's just a big room that you can rent and do uh, hold your parties, hold your gatherings, hold a wedding feast or whatever it is that you were going to do. You could rent one of these upper rooms and do that. So they had rented one of these upper rooms and they were teaching through the night. And they were using that. Maybe somebody owned it and they just were using it that way. Maybe they paid money for it and whatever it was, that's where they were. And a whole bunch of people were in there. Well, you get a lot of people in there. The heat can build up. The carbon dioxide can build up. Whoever, whatever it is, he falls asleep and he falls out the window. But Paul went down, fell on him and embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him. Now, get the picture of this. Well, I'll go on to the, to the next one. Now, when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. So he goes down where this guy just died. He, he holds him. He embraces him. He holds him. And uh, afterwards, he says his life is still in him, but they leave him there. And everybody else goes back up for the meeting. They've got a dead body or a dead person who's still down there on the ground. They don't take him up, put him anyplace else. We're not told, at least anyway, that they put him anyplace else. But here, I want you to... This is what I want you to focus on. He embraced this man. If you fall from a third story window, what kind of condition are you in? He didn't die from disease. He died because things broke. When things break and a fall from a third floor window, you are bloody. So if Paul embraces him, what happens to Paul? He becomes bloody. So Paul doesn't go home and change. They were told he just goes right back up to the upper room and begins to teach. So you got this guy who's got blood all over him, which is going to be a constant reminder of what just happened and who's still down there. And then he didn't show any signs of life. It's just Paul said his life is still in him. And they uh, they came on up and they continued on the meeting. Might be pretty tough for Paul, too, just to keep on going in the meeting. And the guy's still not really responding just yet. He just said his life is still in him. And they came on up. So when he came on up, he had broken bread, eaten, talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. So he preached until midnight. Maybe he preached a little bit longer than that, but somewhere in the midnight hours he preached too. And then they were just uh, eating, breaking bread, uh, chatting. It's always good to chat over food. And they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. So at the end of all this is when they see that he's alive still. And that brought them some comfort. I'm sure it would a lot of people to bring them some comfort. Guy's still alive. So that's, uh, that's quite a meeting to have, have people dying. I heard somebody say, you know, we like to get back to Old Testament church-type meetings. Old Testament church-type meetings, people die. This is not the first. We had this one, he, he died. But you also have people who walk in, lie to the Holy Spirit, and fall dead. And that's, that's New Testament-type church meetings there. So, you know, if you have New Testament-type church meetings, people will die. Then we went ahead to the ship. And sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. So what it says here, then we went ahead on the, to the ship and sailed to Assos. Who is it talking about? Well, mostly it's talking about Luke, because Luke is writing this thing. So Luke is with the group. He's not mentioned in the other group of names that we had, but Luke is with the group. And that's why he's writing with all the things that are, are going on. Now, I think this is neat, because if Luke is with the group, then he's probably at the meeting where the guy dies. And he's a doctor. Can you imagine your profession is a doctor 
And after the guy dies and Paul says his life is in him, you go up to the meeting and sit in with Paul. I think it'd be kind of tempting for Luke to be down there with the person who's in need of some care. Uh, it doesn't sound like it from there that he did. It sounds like he's up there in the room and, and, and looking over things, but that's, uh, that's our brother Luke there. So intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Metalene. That was a 20 mile, about a 20-mile journey that he took on foot. And he comes over to this uh, little town. Now, this seems unremarkable. It just talks about this little town, Mytilene. But this particular town is on an island. Apparently, it's at a resort island. It still is today. The resort island is, goes by the name of Lesbos. We get our word lesbian from it. Apparently, this, this island was inhabited by a lot of people who were lesbians. And it took the name, or this, this name, Lesbos, became synonymous with that. There was actually a court case with the uh, gay and lesbian group that's out there uh, against uh, some of the things that were being used with their name in this island and so forth. But uh, I didn't even look into details of that. If you want to, you can, you can go back up there. Can you go to the other map that I brought up there for you? This is uh, showing us a little bit more of what's going on here. Lesbos is right over here. This is the island that they came to. And we have no ministry that had gone on there at all. At least it's not described. It seems that all Paul did was go to a resort island. The area that he stayed is out over here on the coast in the bayside. It may just be he went over there and rested for a little bit. He's got a pastor's conference coming up in Ephesus. It may be that he just went over there and rested. If he did any type of ministry, it is not mentioned it just says that he stayed over there. We're not even told how long he stayed over there. We just know that he had, uh, had come and stayed. may have been there for just an overnight. may have just been there for a day. may have been there for a week. Whatever it was. But it is a resort island. And we get our word lesbian from this island name. So verse 15. We sailed from there and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. So where we're going with here is you can see that uh, they map out the route right along the first place, Chios, and then come over here. Right over there is the place that they says that they stopped at, Trogalium, and they they apparently stayed there. I'm not sure why, because where they want to go right here is Miletus. That's not very far, but the next day they head over to Miletus. The next day we came to Miletus again by boat. They were still on the ship, so the ship came over, and the next day had headed over. For Paul had decided to sail past Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Um, now, while we have this map up here, we have um, uh, Miletus is right here. Ephesus is right over here. So what he's planning on having done is the people that are over here in Ephesus to come over here and to meet him here. Now, there's a lot of supposition as to why he did that. Some people take it that he's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem, and he figures if he goes to Ephesus, the people there are going to keep him longer. But the last time he was at Ephesus, what happened? There was a riot. We just finished it in the last chapter. That big riot happened in Ephesus. So if that's the last, that's the way you left with a big riot, I think he's, my, my opinion is he's not going there because of the riot. He just wants to go there to minister to the people, 
to the leaders that are there. And he can do that easier from Miletus and not have all the people with the trade with the uh, Diana statues and all that sort of stuff. He doesn't have to mess with that. So he just comes over here. It's a port city. So he can just come right over here. Instead of landing over here at Ephesus, he can just come right over there to Miletus and they can all come on over. So he sent word that we're, we are here. Come on by. And that's what he does. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So he's got in his mind that he wants to be at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. A lot of people use this scripture to say that Paul missed it. That Paul should not have been going to Jerusalem because he's in a hurry. I don't know. Are we missing God every time we're in a hurry? How many times have we been in a, we've been in a hurry to do something? Uh, just because you're in a hurry does not mean you're missing God. You can, be, you can miss God and be going slow. <laughs> you can miss God and be in a hurry. It don't matter what you, whether you're in a hurry or whether you're going slow. You can still miss God. It makes no difference on, on that part. So I don't know that we can use that for it. I really don't think that he necessarily missed God. Uh, he felt like he wanted to minister to Jerusalem one more time. It may be that God said they're done. They've gone too much into the area of legalism. And uh, it's just not going to work. But he uh, went down there anyway and it was given that a try. Uh, he will go to Rome. That's the God's intention for him is to go to Rome. Uh, Spain was still on the agenda and he will eventually get to, to Spain as well. But I don't know that we can say that he missed it. But we'll get more than that as we get into the things that were, were going on there. It is possible. Not saying that he didn't. But I don't know that we can authoritatively say that. Verse 17. From Miletus... He sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. This is the pastors of the church. Now, what's interesting is he calls for the pastors of the church. When he went in there, there were no pastors. There were no believers. So he arrives at Ephesus. The people became born again. And over this amount of time, he's there for, I believe, a year and a half on that particular trip. He was there for, uh, for a while, maybe uh, been longer. I think altogether his time there was about three years. But he was over there in, in Ephesus and raising some people up. And out of this group came some pastors. But they're all still newborns from the, on the gospel. But, you know, some people just take to it better and they become mature faster. He got those mature ones and he turned them into pastors. Uh, basically, a person that would, in this area, they would be a pastor because they knew more of the word of God than anyone else in the area. <laughs> so they could be a, a teacher for them. I heard uh, somebody say, a few times that you don't have to know more than everyone but as long as you know something God's going to send you to the people who don't know as much as you do and you can minister to them that's all that really matters and when they had come to him he said to them you know from the first days that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you serving the Lord with all humility many tears and trials which happened to be which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. So the first thing he mentions there to them is the way in which he lived. And that is the first thing that people will look at us is the way and the manner in which we live. How has the gospel affected our living? That is the most important thing. He says, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. So he says, from the first day that I arrived there until now, I have always lived in the same manner. I didn't become anything different. 
serving the Lord with all humility. And that's important. We've been going over some of these things in uh, pride and humility on Sunday. But serving the Lord with all humility. It's important that you do. Ken, if we looked in this past Sunday, we looked at some people who served the Lord but were not humble about it. And sometimes we disguise our pride by the service that we do. And that was uh, from Sunday. Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. This word, kept back nothing, is the word that means to withhold, to cower or shrink, to conceal, to draw or keep back, to shun or to withdraw. What he is saying here is, I kept back nothing from you. If God showed it to him, he gave it, gave it to them. Now, in Corinth, we know that he says, I would have taught you, I would have given you meat, but I could not because you couldn't handle it. But here in Ephesus, he says, I held nothing back from you. If God gave it to him, he put it out there. There are some, some people who minister the word of God or are always holding stuff back. Paul says, nope, don't, don't hold it back. Gave it all to you. And this is a church that was a newborn church. When Paul went to a place, it was a new plant. And when he went in there with new believers, it says he held nothing back from them. So it's not a matter of how long you've been a Christian. It's your attitude towards the word in which allows a minister like Paul to come in and to give everything or to give a little. It's the attitude. It's not necessarily how much you know of the word. But in Corinth, he couldn't do that. But here at Ephesus, he could. Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears, trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful. <laughs> now, there's a, there's a qualifier, huh? I kept back nothing that was helpful. So he has to first determine if it's helpful. If it was helpful, if it would help them in their walk, he will give it to them. There are some things we can give people that are not helpful. So he determined, first off, is it helpful? Is it going to be good for them? And then he would, uh, he would put that out there. And then trying to discern, well, I wonder if they can handle it. No, he just, if it's going to help them, for this group of people, he gave it to them. Verse 21, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But the Spirit of God never tells him not to go. If God didn't want him to go, God would have said, don't go. And Paul would have heard it, because Paul heard other times, don't go into this particular area. Now, it may be that Jerusalem was his, uh, his people, and maybe he just really wanted to go to them. Whatever it was, it just says that the Holy Spirit testified what awaited him there. Well, how many times has the Spirit of God told us what awaits us in a place? It doesn't mean that we're not supposed to go. He just says, when you get there, this is what's going to greet you. But his desire is to get on out there for the Pentecost, Feast of Pentecost. And he wanted to preach to them. Of course, we know from what all occurred, he doesn't really get a chance to preach to them. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So this thing doesn't move him. He says, when I hear about chains, when I hear about imprisonment, when I hear about tribulation, these things don't move me. 
what moves him is the Spirit of God saying, go here, don't go there. That's what we have seen moves him. What moves him is when an area needs the gospel, hasn't heard it before. He gets moved by that and he wants to, wants to go. But physical abuse, imprisonment, things like this, these don't move him. So we can learn from Paul what things ought to move us, what things ought not to move us. Just because things are going to be hard doesn't mean that you shouldn't go in there and do it. God needs those that are mature, those that are ready to go into some hard places and do some things. It's real interesting to go into the hard places and maintain your Christian character. That speaks some things to people. It's easy to be a Christian when stuff is easy around you and everybody likes you. It's hard when people are giving you a hard time. But that's when your Christian character comes out. And it's important that it does. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Never count your life dear to yourself. It's dear to God. It's not dear to you. We have to always be, be ready that, hey, if God, if I need to go into a place and even my life is required of me, that's fine. That's what Paul's telling us. And to make sure that we, we keep ourselves up that way. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Now, that is not true. They will see him again. It will be a while, but they will see him again. He will get out there to Ephesus again and, and minister to them. He's thinking, though, because of what's going on and the warnings that are coming in, that he's going to be in prison, that he's eventually going to be killed for the gospel's sake. And he's okay with that. <laughs> Imagine that. He's just fine. That's all right. They want to kill me for it. That's, that's good. I, he's telling them, I really don't expect to see you again. He's a young man. It's not like he's dying from old age here. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And here we have that word used again for the word shunned. I have not held back. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. How many times have we heard that the churches need to tone down, need to water down, need to not teach all of what the Word of God says because it's too hard for people to hear. And here's what Paul is saying. Two times he uses this word, and two times he refers to it. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I haven't pulled back. I've given the whole thing to you. I heard uh, one person use a uh, sail. I'm not a sailor, so uh, I can't do it probably as well as a person who is a sailor. But if you have sails... On a sailboat, now they have a term for this. When you unfurl the sails, you open them up. And when you furl the sails, you kind of close them up. Well, the only time you unfurl the sails is if there's not a whole lot of wind or you're in a big hurry or something because if you furl the sails all the way, then they are out to catch all of the wind and they can capsize the boat. They can cause trouble with the boat. They can rip the sails. All sorts of stuff goes on. With that, so you don't always keep put the sails all the way out. Sometimes you have to have them partially out so that uh, you know the wind that you're catching is is plenty. What he is basically saying here is, I unfurled the sails. I went full, full, all, went all the way with you, and I gave you everything. If God gave it to me, I gave it to you. That's what he's saying to him, and that's really what we need to do more. We've done too much watering down of the word. We're not sticking to the word. 
and putting the word out the way that it needs to go. What the word says, we need to teach people and not be worried about this stuff. Well, they might get offended. Well, they might not like it. Well, it might be too much for them. We got to quit that. How old is this church? It's pretty young, isn't it? And yet I've heard people say that the church of Ephesus, by the time that Revelation comes along, which is not that much further from here, that, Reve- that this church was so influential without TV, without radio, <laughs> without mail, direct mailings, or stuff, without email, without podcast, any of those, those things. If you put this church in San Francisco, its influence was felt as far as Washington State. I'd say it's pretty good. That's a pretty good uh, impact from this, this church. This was a very influential church. And they, they got there quick. And Paul saw they had an attitude about the word, and he could give it to them on a, on a regular basis. We've got to stop trying to figure, well, how much can I give them? Tell them what the word of God says. Let them know. And he says, because of it, because I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, he's saying, I'm innocent of any man's blood. If you're going to hell, it's not because I didn't warn you. <laughs> That's what he's basically telling them. If, if you miss God, it's not because I didn't show you the right way. I gave it to you. I gave it to you straight. I gave it to you. I got give you everything that God gave me for you. If it was helpful, if it was useful for you, I gave it to you. What you did with it from there is up to you. So he says, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, which would tell us, If we are shunning the counsel of God, we may be guilty of some people's blood. Wouldn't you derive that? Yeah, we got to be careful about that. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's talking to pastors. This is the pastor's conference here. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He's basically saying this is precious to God. He, he bought this with his own blood. So take heed to yourselves to, and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he says, look at the position. You guys, the Holy Spirit has put you in a position to be overseers of the flock of God's. A flock that he considers to be so precious he gave up his blood to get it. For I know this, that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. How does he know that? He's not just saying that savage wolves are coming. He's saying that after my departure, my departure. He's not talking about Timothy. He's not talking about Apollos. He's not talking about anyone else. He is talking about himself. He says, after I leave you, savage wolves are coming in. How does he know that? This is a future event, right? How do we know future events? Holy Spirit tells us. So he knows without any uncertainty at all, by the Holy Spirit, of what's going to happen. Now, if the Holy Spirit comes down to Paul and tells him, Paul, when you are finally done, they kill you down here on this earth, and you come up to heaven, this is what's going to happen after you leave. Savage wolves are going to come in into all those churches that you planted around here. All the places where you took the word. Savage wolves are going to come in and they're going to mess with these churches. If you are Paul and you know that without any doubt from the Holy Spirit, what are you doing while you're here? You're going to get it repaired. 
Yeah, you can't go out there and beat up on all the wolves because <laughs> there's going to be more wolves and this is for after you go. So that means, too, that while Paul is here, they're held at bay. And yet, how much have we seen savage wolves while Paul is here? We've seen some things going on with the savage wolves, haven't we? And yet he's saying, when I go, it's going to be, it's going to be bad. So Paul is keeping it at bay. What is Paul doing that is holding the savage wolves at bay. Got to be doing something, right? Because when you go, that's not going to be done anymore because he's gone. So Paul is doing something right now that's keeping the savage wolves at bay. And he knows it. And it's real easy to figure it out. What does Paul do more so well? If the devil shows up in his meetings, what's he do? He exposes them, kicks them out. If false teachers show up, what's he do? Teaches the truth and gets rid of them. Whenever he sees something false, he proclaims what is true. And what Paul, there's no compromise with it. What Paul teaches, no compromise at all from what the Word of God says. So other people are going to come in who have compromised that, and they're not going to be preparing the people to fight off these wolves the way that Paul has. Now, he's got some people in there. Timothy, I think, is just as tough as Titus. Titus is tough. Timothy, Timothy, he does not back off from the word of God. Silas, tough guy, tough guy, good teacher. Apollos, not compromising, not compromising at all. But who's got the wherewithal to keep going all over the world? Paul. Apollos pretty much stays in a couple of areas. Timothy stays in a couple of areas. Paul's the guy going around all, all around making the circuit. He keeps walking. Walking here, walking there, walking there. He keeps going. Wherever he goes, he stirs up trouble. When you stir up trouble, you bring out the troublemakers, you deal with them. <laughs> no one else brings out troublemakers like Paul does. And when he brings them out, he is able to deal with them and uh, what's exposed. And we've seen him do all sorts of things, from taking a beating for the church to uh, publicly uh, defending the, the gospel. But the Holy Spirit has shown him, Paul, once you go, these savage wolves are going to descend. Doesn't say that they will devour the church. He just says they will descend. Well, you know, when the cat's away, the mice will play, as they say. So they got to, you know, let's test out the, the salt of these other leaders. We know what Paul was like. If, if uh, false teachers tried to come into Corinth, if they tried to come into Ephesus, if they tried to come into Galatia, if they tried to come into Philippi, and Paul was around, what did Paul do? He either went there, sent someone, or wrote a letter. Silas, come here. I need, I need you to take this message to these folks over here because they're letting something in. Uh, folks over at Corinth, you guys, you're letting this kind of stuff come in. No, we can't have that. He sends a letter over there. He sends people over there. Whatever it is, he is going to combat it. But he combats it with the Word of God. He combats it with what the, the truth is. The Word of God warns us that in the latter days, people will tire of hearing the truth. If they tire of hearing the truth, where is their defense? And this is why the church is being attacked by savage wolves, because we are not preparing ourselves. We are not ready. We have not sharpened ourselves on the word of God. And when the savage wolves come in, they present people with stuff that sounds close to the word, sounds like the word, but they are not able to defend against what the savage wolves do because they have been led astray. They've been led away from. They don't go after. The word of God tells us they will not endure sound doctrine. 
no, nah, that's just, I don't like that anymore. I want this other stuff. I want this feel-good stuff. I want to go into a church service and everybody's doing their own thing and the, what looks like the, the gifts of God. We were just listening to somebody. Oh, who was this? Uh, I was just listening. I think it was today. It was today or yesterday, I was listening to somebody and they were talking about um, sitting in the service. And uh, two people, oh, I tell you, I cannot remember their name. Um, traveled around, I believe, with Lester Summerall, but I can't remember who they who they were. And they were in a meeting, and this, and this person got up and uttered a word of knowledge. Some kind of the gift of the Spirit was flowing with this one. It was not their meeting. They were just in it. And they leaned over to this person that they were with, whoever it was that was uh, giving this message that I heard. They leaned over to them, and they said, all right, now watch. Now that de- that was God. Now the devil's going to show up three times. And sure enough, the person got up, and they just screamed and hollered and People applauded and clapped and uh, said, praise God, because this person was screaming and hollering. They felt like the Spirit of God came upon them. And this, uh, this lady leaned over him and said, that's one. <laughs> and then somebody else got up and they did something else in the, in the area. And they, that's two. Just flesh oriented. And uh, a third one got up and they said, that's three. And they were, sure enough, there were three. They called it. This lady called it. Husband and wife team, it was a lady who came on over, and, and i got to go back now and fig- figure out <laughs> who was it who said that. I'll figure it out. And um, they, one, two, three. And they said afterwards, he said, when we have meetings like that and the Spirit of God shows up, we know to expect the devil because the devil is going to imitate whatever it is that God does. But as soon as he does, we call it out. We pinpoint it. That's, the, that's wrong. And so he can't get away with it. Well, if he can get away with it, he's going to come in and he's going to do it. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't let that to, to go on. So you have to have that confidence that says, this is God, this is not God, and you need to expose the devil when he shows up. Paul has no trouble doing this. When God shows him something, even though it's going to cause harm to himself, he'll, he'll turn around, come out of her in the name of Jesus, or, or whatever it is he's got to do, he will, uh, he will address it. People in the latter days, the Word of God says, will not endure sound doctrine. And other things will be attractive. Other things will pull them in. Other things will, you know, there's gimmicks, there's things, and there's all this sort of stuff that, that comes out. I mean, some people go to church because there's a coffee shop in it. And like that, I want to have a place to have a coffee. And, you know, go to Wawa or something like that. I don't know why to, <laughs> whatever you're doing. But, but uh, they don't necessarily pick it for, for that reason. If we're not being sharpened on the Word of God, we are not being prepared for the wolves that are out there to try and pull us down. And we have to be careful of that. So Paul is saying, the Spirit of God is basically saying this, the Spirit of God has shown me that savage wolves are going to come down upon this church. He's warning his pastors. He's warning the elders that are in the church of Ephesus. And he's telling them, "Savage! as soon as I'm gone, savage wolves are coming. Be ready. They are coming as soon as I'm gone. And you need to be ready for these guys because they are going to descend They're going to come down. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Jesus talks about wolves in sheep's clothing. They're going to look like sheep, but they're not going to be sheep. By by their fruit, you will know them, the Word of God says. Also, from from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Now, there's two ways to take this. Among your group that you are in, among your churches, or among you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that Paul's not, he's not innocent enough to, 
to think that everybody who is here now is going to stay true to the gospel. He knows that they can fall away as much as anyone else can. He says, also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. This is what happens even today. We find that there are ministers, there are people in the gospel who minister the gospel who are doing nothing but to pull people to themselves, not to God, not to the word. They pull themselves to their revelation. They pull themselves to their acts that are going on. And uh, I've, I've heard some. There's a couple of people even in this area we've, we've, we've heard. All they do is talk about what God has done in their meetings. It's like, a, I mean, man. Years ago, I was with a pastor. We were uh, uh, just uh, chatting with him. You know, we were over at their house and having some, having some uh, meal together. And all this guy talked about was himself. Constantly just talked about himself and what God did here and what God did here and what God did here. And um, um, I did some things to let him know. <laughs> my wife came when we came on out of there. My wife was just sh- shaking her head. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're, we're getting ministers who are getting more stuck on themselves and on the, the things that God is doing supposedly through them instead of turning people onto the Word of God. What we need to do is turn people onto the Word of God. They need to, to come out knowing what the Word of God said not being turned on to us as ministers of the gospel, but to the word of God. Because after you're gone in their life, what's, what are they going to have left? They're going to have the word. That's what they need to know. That's what's going to protect them. So from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So disciples, people that are following after God, are drawn to perverse things. Not only are they speaking them, but there are people who will follow after perverse things. Have you ever heard some people going out there and teaching some stuff and you wonder, why do you listen? Why would that even be an appeal to you? I don't know. I don't know what it is. On, uh, what was it, Monday, Tuesday, one of those days, I put up a post on Facebook, if any of you had, uh, had seen that. Because uh, this one that's, uh, that's coming against the gospel, the, the body of Christ now, this ultra grace, I mean, it's hit Raymond people. I know Raymond people have ho- swallowed this hook, line, and sinker. And it's not just, you know, people from other denominations. I know people that I went to school with. <laughs> and, and they swallowed this thing. They're going after it. They're teaching it. I know people that had huge churches when I was down in Tulsa who got off on this thing. And, and uh, people in the area tried to minister to them and tried to help them out. And we're not just talking about other denominations. We're talking about spirit-filled churches that have gotten into this thing, this ultra grace. Be careful of who you listen to. I got some people that I loved listening to when I was a student at Rhema. Teachers at the school who I won't give them the time of day now. If you're not teaching the word of God, if you are not sharpening me on the word of God, I have no time for you. I've heard more people. The one, at one time, they used to teach the word. Now they teach about it. A lot of times we, I, I pulled up, oh, here's some podcast by brother so-and-so, by sister so-and-so. I get excited. I tell my wife, oh, when we get in the shop today, we're going to listen to so-and-so. I found some teaching by them, and I pull them on up, and we listen, and we get into it 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, no word, no opening the Bible. Talked about some things in the Bible, didn't open the Bible at all. Well, maybe it's just a bad one. Let's listen to another one. Listen to another one, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, no word. No, but not even opening the Bible. Don't turn to nothing. No word. <sighs> Do we dare try again? We get into another one. I remember this one, one lady. I mean, I enjoyed her so much when she was in school. 
third one we get to. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, no word. I finally gave up. Says, you know what? <laughs> if, if I'm going to listen to you two whole services and a half and you haven't even opened the Bible yet, I don't need to listen to you anymore. This is ridiculous. I want to hear somebody go over the word. I don't care if you're teaching me anything new. Go over the word. Teach the word of God. And that's important. We've got a whole lot of them out there that are teaching about the word. They're not teaching the word. And we need to, we need to get into that. So um, just know these things are out there just because yeah, I, I, not, just not other groups. We're, like, we're even talking about spirit-filled, Pentecostal, full gospel, whatever you want to go by. From among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. There's, it's, it's, a, it's a motivation. You can tell when someone is motivated to teach you the word of God, to draw you closer to God, or a person is motivated to draw you to themselves. Stay away from the ones that are trying to draw you to themselves. They're not going to help you out. They're not going to do good things for you. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Why did he spend so much time to warn everyone? Because apparently by then he already knew. Paul, when you go, when you get done going around and teaching this message of the church, people are going to descend and try and destroy this. Savage wolves will come in. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's the word, folks. It's the word. We've got to get back to the word. We've got to read the word. We've got to study the word. We've got to hear the word. Constantly got to hear the word. We can't get away from it. I got to keep hearing these these things. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have so, shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. He said, I demonstrated that to you. I didn't just teach you that. I demonstrated that to you. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke. that They would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship, even more so than about the wolves. They were sad that they weren't going to see him anymore. And you, know, you can understand that. Paul really brought people to himself. He was tough. He gave you a hard word. He was tough, but uh, you could tell that he loved you. Uh, Brother Hagin was very much like that, very tough with, with people and uh, very forthcoming with the word of God, but you could tell that he did it because he loved you. And that's uh, pretty much what Paul was like. So here's the application. Three things for us to keep in mind as we are walking in the ministry of God. First off, teach. Word of God says we should be apt to teach. Teach the Word of God. Don't teach about it. Teach the Word. Don't just tell them about a passage. I get frustrates me more than anything else. When people in church services, they talk about a passage and they summarize the passage. They don't read the passage. We don't summarize passages here. We, we read them. Once in a while, I'll summarize something because we're reading two chapters over here. I may not take people over to another chapter, but um, it, we, we read the Word of God. It's important. We read the Word of God. We go over the word. We talk about the word. 
teach the word. Don't teach what you think about the word. Don't teach what you want the word of God to say. Don't teach what you think they can handle. Teach the word. That way you are not guilty of any man's blood. So teach. Beware. Understand there are wolves around. Beware. Jesus would teach along these same same lines. Be careful that no one deceives you. He would teach people to beware. You have to be conscious that there is an enemy around. Those enemies are going to come into the church as well as be outside of the church. There are enemies. Teach all the while. Beware. There are people who will come in who will hurt. Third, warn. You yourself need to beware, but you also need to warn other people. Paul said he spent three years there with them warning everyone. You need to be careful. How many times did Jesus warn his disciples? You've got to warn them. You've got to tell them. This can go on. This can happen. He repeated his warnings over and over. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, we heard you say that before. He kept repeating his warnings over and over again. There are some things in this church I repeat over and over again because it's imperative that we don't forget it. It's, it's important that we don't lose sight of these things. Teach, beware, and warn. That's what Paul did. He was always aware that wolves were circling around, trying to take over the sheep. But he constantly taught them the truth of God's word. Teach them the truth. They're going to be prepared for what's coming up. If you give them the truth and they do nothing with it, it's not on your head. It's on them. You give them the truth. Don't try and buffer it. Don't try and soften it. Paul said, I didn't hold anything back. I opened up and gave it all to you. We need to be able to do the same thing. Teach, beware, and warn. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us to follow out to the great example that Paul had for us to teach the people the word of God, what the word of God says, to beware that around us are wolves, people who want to descend on the flock, the enemy who wants to come in and mimic and copy what it is that God has done. We need to beware. When we see the enemy, we need to expose them and we need to warn. As much as we teach the Word of God, we also need to warn of things to come, warn of things that will be done. We need to be aware of what kind of doctrines from devils are working its way into the church and warn people about them so that when they come to them, they say, oh, no, no, I know what that is. Nope, not going to buy into that. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.